Amen. And you may be seated. And if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. You can also find the passage for this morning on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of it. We are concluding um, our look at the flood this morning and what took place immediately following it for Noah and for his family. And all of this is in a bigger study as we have uh, sought to walk through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, a section of scripture um, we have deemed foundations of the gospel. And I hope that we have seen those pillars in place, even from the very first words of scripture, that hope of our need for God and that he provides that very hope for all who trust in him. We find this in many different ways, and uh, particularly this morning, we find it in the successes and in the failures of the people of God. And what we see there is God's mercy, we see God's judgment, and our need to trust in him alone. Over and over and over again, the Bible makes this message clear Man cannot save himself, only God can save, trust in him. Since the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, we, we've been in the story of Noah for some time now, but there's been a recurring theme, it's a, it's a word that has been repeated all across his life and his ministry, uh, in his parenting and in everything he's done, and that's been righteousness. He is righteous before God. He has been declared righteous. He lived rightly. He believed God. He trusted God. He obeyed God. He did what God said. So much so that we might find ourselves at this point wondering, if you've not read ahead, um, is he the child of promise? Is he the one to undo the curse? Will he be the one that God promised Eve? the seed of the woman, to destroy the serpent. Well, what we will see this morning is he is not. For Noah, like all, born sin. Noah, born of man, sins. He carries that sin. Um, a lot of sin was eradicated, was washed away from the earth in God's judgment of the flood, but not all sin, for there were sinners upon the ark. And so today we need to come to terms with that. And we need to really get a sense of we're not to be Noah. As, as, as great as it's been to study his life and as great as it's been to look at his faithfulness, the Bible is clear. Don't dare to be a Noah. For Noah falls. For Noah doesn't always obey God. Noah doesn't always fulfill God's law and God's commands. Instead, if you were to see anything in the story of Noah, it's to love the God that Noah loves and to trust the God that Noah trusts and seek forgiveness of the God that Noah would seek forgiveness from. With that in mind, let's turn to our passage this morning and read a weighty matter. Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 18. And I will read uh, from there to the end. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people 
the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it both on their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever, and he has promised it will accomplish everything he has set out for it. Would you once again go with me in prayer as we ask God's blessing upon this time? O Lord our God, your word offers warning to us this day of the consequences of sin, and not just immediate consequences, but lasting consequences. Lord, may we fear you this morning. May we rightly see our sin for what it is. And may we lay it at your feet humbly, asking for your forgiveness and for your mercy. As we now go into a time of study of this word, I pray you would open our minds and our hearts that we might receive it and that we might not sin against you. You and you alone can grant us this. And so we ask it in Christ Jesus' name this day. Amen. As we have mentioned uh, the past couple of Sundays that we've been in Genesis chapter 9, we really are seeing the world from a new lens. Um, there's been a recreation of sorts, a realignment. The sins of man became so wicked that um, the earth had to be cleansed. And from a brief moment, a very, very brief moment, there is hope that that solved the problem. Just a, a hint, a pause of maybe it's going to be all right from here forward. Maybe we've worked it out and it's all going to be okay. However, in reading our passage this morning, we see that sin survived the flood. We are born sinful. And Noah and his family carried sin with them. And took it from there forward. And it's very important, as this is God's inspired word, it's very important to waive the sins of these people, but I want us to be careful in doing so. We can wear ourselves out in looking for sins in others. And it's easy for us to pick apart the lives of others, such as in Noah and his sons. We cannot ignore sin, nor am I asking us to. But what I want you to ask yourself this morning as we read this text is why? Why is the sin of Noah and the sin of Ham recorded for me today? What do I need to hear as I listen to this sin and reflect upon my own heart and my need for God this morning? And I believe we can answer those questions by seeing our passage in four different sections. 
First, we need to see that God fulfills His promises. A common theme, something we've seen all throughout Genesis, and it's very important and central to the very gospel. Secondly, sin leads to, sin drives us to greater sin. Thirdly, sin has lasting consequences. It always comes at a price. And then fourthly, Christ alone can break the cycle of sin and death. Apart from Him, there is no hope. With that in mind, and those questions before us, let us jump back into our passage, beginning with God fulfilling His promises. And it would be very easy to jump past 18 and 19 of this text and get to the, shall we say, more exciting section. But it would be wrong of us to do so because we learned something important. The sons of Noah who went from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah, and from these people, from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. This language affirms God's fulfillment of his promise to populate the earth, to promote life. Here, because they're speaking of future generations, that means there will be future generations. See how that works? God says it, therefore it will be so. Again, another theme of Genesis. God declares it, and so it is. And so when God says these men will create, will populate the nations, that is a promise and a promise fulfilled in God. God preserved them through the flood and is now seeing them forward. And if you look at verse 19 in particular, there's a sense in which this verse is a preparation for everything written from here forward. In fact, Lord willing, next week um, we will get to Genesis chapter 10, uh, often called the table of nations, as we see even this promise fulfilled, as we not only read that Shemham and Japheth will be the father of nations, but we read of the nations that they fathered. But even here, as we, we look from the step-back view, um, this is a missional passage. This is a call, a reminder of God's care and God's love and God's oversight over the whole world, the totality of it. We saw that last week in the covenant promise from the flood. I will not flood the earth. I will not destroy the world in this manner again, affecting all who live, all people, all creatures, all plants. We find this theme throughout all of Scripture, God's love for the world, the, the global world. In fact, the Great Commission itself, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we need to be careful um, and, and we can wrongly do so in, in trying to understand particular passages and, and define certain terms. What does the world mean? Um, and I think that's good and right in certain contexts. But we do a disservice when we ignore God's love for the totality of his creation. And we, we see it here as this kind of immediately following of his promise to prosper the earth. And another section I don't want, to, don't want us to miss, and this kind of reinforces this, we're specifically told Ham is the father of Canaan. 
He alone gets special recognition. The, the Bible often speaks, particularly in the Old Testament, in generational terms. It, it, it speaks in lasting terms. A, a name meant something, and a characteristic would tend to be passed on from father to son to son to son. And, and you can track these major themes. You can track um, certain uh, traits, both positively and negatively, in Scripture. And so Ham is, is intricately tied to uh, this line, the line of Canaan. And unfortunately, this is done in a negative light. He is an example to show us that sin is generational. It's a foreshadowing, if you will, and a warning to be very careful to treat sin seriously. Don't just look past it. Don't just give it a Nah, that's over there. I'll deal with it when I get to it. We must weigh sin every single time we are faced with it. For it can have lasting consequences not only on ourselves, but on our children and in the future generations. Let's see that in our second section. If you'll look with me at verses 20 to 23. And it's at this point we, we almost feel that time is resumed. Um, we've, we've had this uh, moment after the flood, um, really all of chapter 9, where God has been making promises and there's been sacrifices, and now it seems like the flow of time is moving on. And Noah, in that flow of time, takes up a profession. Now, we don't know if he was a gardener uh, uh, or a vine dresser before the flood, or if this is a new one for him, but he takes up the art of uh, tending the vine. And I want to say just, just for a moment, um, there are a lot of benefits of the vine and its ties to the gospel. We could speak of how Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches in John. We could talk about how the vine would produce the cup that Jesus drank on the final night before the crucifixion and what it represents for us, how it is a symbol of the covenant and the covenant of grace. We could speak many positive aspects of the fruit of the vine and the ability to create wine and other products, both medicinal and recreational. I say all of this just as a brief warning against the bad theology that looks at the cup and says anything other than grape juice should be damned and you can't be near it, you can't have anything to do with it. That's not biblical. Now, if by your conviction you are led to that conclusion, then so be it. But be very careful you don't apply to Scripture that which is not Scripture. Now, I say all of that to say in no way can we excuse Noah for the actions that took place. Noah and Noah alone is responsible for Noah's sin. And so while on the one hand we kind of have to defend the vine um, from uh, evil or immoral use, it is, it is morally neutral, at the same time we cannot ignore what took place. And what took place? Well, Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And when the Bible, or while the Bible does allow uses of wine, you could look at Psalm 104, uh, you could look at John 2, 1 Timothy 5, and other places, it does not allow drunkenness. Drunkenness explicitly forbidden. Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, drunkenness, drinking to excess, drinking to the point of, of severe behavioral change, I would even say minor behavioral change, 
can lead to dangerous consequences. And in the case of Noah, it did. Noah drank to excess and exposed himself in his tent. And this should warn us. This should warn us against drunkenness and caution all who enter or entertain occasional drinks. There's nothing wrong with occasional drinking. But the same man who for three chapters has been declared upright and holy and blameless and a follower of God and obeyer of his commands and someone to be commended now lays naked in his tent, completely exposed without any defense whatsoever because he chose to walk in this sin. His sin compromised himself. And this is the danger of sin. Sin always exposes us. Sin reveals publicly that which should not be. In fact, many people drink for this purpose. They drink to engage in activities that they would not were they sober. And while this is not a sermon against drinking per se, it is a warning to take all things in moderation. It is a plea to not become slave to anything that can seize you and place you in compromised situations. For if Noah himself was not enough of a warning, the sin continues. Because Noah lay exposed and naked, he created opportunity for more sin. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their face was turned. They did not see their father's nakedness. And there is much debate on this passage. Read a dozen commentators, and you'll get about eight different responses as to what this sin is. Did Ham look lustfully at the nakedness of his father? Is this the sin of homosexual lust? Is it a sin of mockery? Was Ham looking for an opportunity to ridicule his father? Maybe after being ridiculed himself for other sins by his father? Was it a subversion of authority? Does this passage even allude to more sinister actions? Could Ham have engaged in sexual actions with his mother, as saw the nakedness can mean in Scripture? Well, we do not have a lot of answers to this question, I do believe that Calvin um, is right in seeing this specifically as a violation of the fifth commandment. God calls us to honor our fathers and mothers. And Ham, in telling of his brothers and going and making a spectacle of it, is violating that commandment. It's a shameful act, and one that is most likely meant to make him look better at his father's expense. He is most likely trying to underplay his father and expose him after he himself being exposed for various sin. Calvin says, This ham, therefore, must have been of a wicked, perverse, and crooked disposition, since he not only took pleasure in his father's shame, but wished to expose it to his brothers. And this is no slight occasion. The impiety of ham proves how deep is the root of wickedness in men. And that it continually puts forth its shoots, except where the power of, spirit, of the Spirit prevails over it. And I'm most convinced of this action, not simply because of Calvin's words, although they help. But look at the response of Shem and Japheth. Look at the brothers who acted rightly. And what is their response? 
They put the garment on their shoulders. They walk backwards, their face away from their father. They conceal his shame. They conceal his nakedness. They cover over it, if you will, without seeing it themselves, without taking part in it, without acting upon it, without any instance of, 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 of shame to their father. They honor him in that regard. They do what Ham did not. As Ham mocks, they humble themselves. But see how sin multiplied into greater sin. Ham would have not had the opportunity to act in this way had Noah not gotten drunk in the first place. Noah's drunkenness exposed the sinfulness of Ham. This is why we must tread carefully with sin. Sin has a generational tendency. It not only exposes us, but it can be relayed to those who go after us. And where there is sin, there is always consequences. Look with me at our next section to see the consequences of such an action. We find that in 24 through 27. At this point, Noah awakens from his drunken sleep, and he's made aware of the sin of his son. We don't know how, but we know that he comes to find out of Ham's sin. And this leads Noah to issue a curse onto the line of Ham. And this is important. Noah does this in a prophetic way. As a prophet, he speaks as an emissary of God on behalf of this bloodline. Now, you might find yourself saying, well, how can he do that? He just got drunk. Um, he was caught in his sin. He, his sin led to the sin of his son. Well, God can use what God wants. If God can speak through a donkey, if God can use sinners, God can speak through whoever he wants in the Bible, and we should be very careful questioning God's ability to do. But at the same time, you have to be careful when prophecy is, is given. And the question you have to ask when evaluating a prophet is what they say, did it come true? And we know by further looking into Scripture, the, the curse here given to Ham, specifically to his line, to starting with his son, is fulfilled. Thus meaning, he was, Noah was speaking on behalf of God, acting as his emissary. That doesn't excuse him of his sin, though. So let's make sure we're clear on that. That does not excuse him from his sin, but we can't ignore the fact that he is acting on God's behalf in this moment. And what is the curse? Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. It's a curse of subjugation. Ham's line would be lesser than or under the lines of Shem and Japheth. Well, what does that mean? Well, Shem and Japheth are praised for their love of and following of God. It is a putting them under love of and following of God. And you see that. You see, if you read into the line of Canaan, these things mark them. Sexual immorality, perverse actions such as child sacrifice, a complete and total rejection of God, the ways of God, and the people of God. These things would follow their bloodline. They would be marked by strife. They would be marked by conflict with their neighbors. And we see it in seed form in Ham continuing on. It's the same thing we saw with Cain. Remember how Cain's sin of murder led to his descendants rejoicing in murder? 
how their sin blossomed into a love of and a, a, a um, identifying with that sin? Well, here, Ham, in dishonoring his father, in rejecting God's command to honor our parents, leads to his bloodline, his people, not honoring their fathers, not honoring God, rejecting his commands. And so we see that, that the consequence of this sin is, is more sin. Sin has the tendency to lead that way. But not all is bad. Ham is cursed for his unfaithfulness, but Shem and Japheth are praised. And note how they're praised. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. No greater thing could Noah have said of one of his sons. The greatest praise Noah could have uttered. Blessed be the God of Shem. He's praising God and he's praising Shem for obeying and submitting and loving God. He's saying, Shem is a faithful son, not to me, but to God. And then, may God enlarge Japheth. It's a, it's a prayer that God would be a part of and be a blessing in Japheth's life. It's an acknowledgement of God in them. What a high praise. What a high honor. Oh, all of us that are parents, that we could say this of our children. Isn't this our desire, that God would further bless them, meaning he has blessed them, that he cares for them, that he loves them. And so they are honored. They're lifted up, even as, as their brother is cast down. And it's here that we realize while sin has generational consequences, so does righteousness. It is important, it is vital for us today, dear Christians, to raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's important to raise them in a household of faith because just as much as our sin can and will negatively affect them, so much more will our righteousness and desire to follow and to please God. Because at the end of the day, and this is a hard truth to accept, but it must be said, we cannot save our children. We can't do it. It's not possible. Noah could not save his sons any more than we can save ours. We can place them in an environment and give them all that we have. We can teach them about the Lord and pray for them and pray with them. But at the end of the day, God and God alone can save. Only Jesus can break the cycle of sin and death. We see this in our final section. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years. And then very important words in the book of Genesis. And he died. Genesis chapter 5, remember, over and over. He lived and he died. 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 The consequence of sin, the the punishment of the curse, that death would be upon mankind, that we would face death due to our sin. And so we hear here definitively, Noah is not the child of promise. He can't do it. He's not going to do it. Even worse now, as you look to his bloodline, and we go one more generation, remember that's something we've said we would do. Every generation, we're looking for that child of promise, just as the Israelites would. Now one line out of the three has been cursed. So we're down to two. That just really killed our odds. Is the promise going to come then? 
Is it going to come even further? Again and again, over and over, a longing, a looking in Scripture for that child of promise, for that faithful one, for that one to undo the curse. And we're going to have to keep going. We're going to have to go through the Old Testament. We're going to have to go to the Gospels. And we're going to have to find Jesus Christ. He would be that one many, many, many years later. Jesus did what Noah could not. He drank a different cup. He did drink a cup. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He did crush the head of the serpent and delivered a fatal blow while he himself was struck. He died that we might live. We're not saved through the death of Noah. He, Jesus, sacrificed himself. Jesus did what no one else can do. We cannot rest in our own good works. For no matter how good we are, our sin finds us and reveals our nakedness. We are exposed before the world and even worse, before God himself. Our only hope is to be clothed by Jesus and his righteousness and not that of our own. Dear brothers and sisters, flee from sin at all costs. Cling to the only one who can declare you righteous and forgiven. And how can I say this in confidence? And I can say this in confidence this morning by looking at one last passage. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the hall of faith. It's a listing of faithful deeds of people who obeyed and trusted in God. And guess who's there? That's right, Noah. Noah is present. This whole sermon, we've looked at the sin of Noah and the consequences of it, but we read this in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. No mention of his sin. No mention of his drunkenness. No mention of his, the cursing of the line of Ham through Canaan. It says, by his obedience, by his faith, he was declared a child of righteousness. Even Noah was saved, not by his obedience, but by his faith in God. And if all of that we said this morning, and, and I, I pray that you feel the weight of sin, if that's not enough, then we go here and say, but God, but God forgives, but God saves, but God cleanses us, but God sees us through. And he does so if we but trust him in faith. It's true for Noah. And it's true for you and for me today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father. Oh that we would see the weight of sin. And we would take it seriously. Far too often in this world. We make little of our own sin. And we make much of the sin of others. Help us to weigh our hearts. Help us to take these matters. And, and seriously consider. Each and every time we are tempted what it would cost. And not just us, but for others as well. Our own households, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. Lord, forgive us, for we do fall. And we do expose our nakedness before this world. And even worse, we do so before you. Cover us, Lord. Cover us in your righteousness. Cover us with the forgiveness, with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Make us whole. See not our sin. Instead, see our Savior. I pray for each and everyone here, those joining us along, online, that they would all trust in you by faith. And those too, 
it would be said of them, by faith they received righteousness that has been declared to them today. We thank you for your word, O Lord, and the truths found in it. Apply them all to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.